last service was great. Um, and so far, we're on a really good start with that awesome worship where I could feel the presence of the Lord real strong. And um, it was doing something deep inside of me, especially at that last song. And my prayer was, God, deliver me. And if there's anything in my life that needs to be dealt with, I want it to be dealt with. If there's any money-changing tables inside of me, you don't even realize they're there. Lord, turn them upside down. I don't want them inside of me. And uh, anything that isn't accurately representing you, I don't want inside of me. Anything I say that's not of you, I don't want it. And it's what we're going to talk about today. So that was awesome worship. And I'm so thankful for our worship team and all of you worshiping. And uh, before we go any further, tomorrow's Memorial Day. And today we're going to pray and remember those that have gone before us and fought for our nation. I support our military, the Marines, the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, and the Coast Guard, and the Reserves, and whoever else I might be missing. And um, for those that have lost a tomorrow, that's what this holiday is really about. And so let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for all those that have fought for the freedom of our nation, who have laid their lives down, who have gone before us, who have believed in the freedom that uh, we have in this country. And Lord, as we celebrate Memorial Day, may we never forget those who fought for us and for what we have. And I pray, Lord, for the families that have lost loved ones around our nation and all over the world. I pray, Lord God, that it would, the loss or the death would not have been in vain and that, Lord, the legacy and the promise that was on their lives would be carried forward in these families' lives and in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on the cross, that you fought on the front lines and gave your life for our freedom. We remember you too, Lord, and all that you've done, all that you gave, and how we can walk in true life now because of what you did. Thank you, Lord God, for our nation, and I pray that this nation would become the nation you want it to be. And that, Lord, you would move mightily all over the hearts of the leaders, the government leaders, political leaders, in every sphere of influence. And I thank you, Lord God, for showing yourself strong to our nation and showing yourself strong to all of us. And I thank you, God, for those, again, that have gone before us. And we remember them and honor them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I'm going to be starting a three-part series on Pentecost. And uh, Pentecost is next Sunday. And for those of you that don't know, Pentecost means 50. And actually, Pentecost is a feast in Israel. And it's also known as the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Bread, or the Feast of the Harvest. Okay? And we'll talk more about that next week. This coming Wednesday night is Supernormal Natural Night. And I'm going to be teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, what they are, what they aren't. We're going to debunk some myths about Pentecost and debunk some of the lies that people believe about Pentecost. We're going to talk about why the gifts are so important and why the Holy Spirit and the outpouring is so important. And we're going to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If it's been a long time since you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
or felt that fire and that touch from God maybe many years ago, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18 that we're to be filled continuously with the Spirit. Past, present, future. We're supposed to stay full. And if it's been a long time since you've had an encounter and an experience with God, this church is all about you having encounters and experiences and then discipling you to become everything God's called you to become. And so if you do not pray in tongues or don't prophesy or don't understand the more, then I want to encourage you to come. Our motto here at Rock City Church is because there's more. If you've hit a plateau spiritually, if you feel dry, if you're not hungry, thirsty, if you don't have a passion for the word, if you feel like you're stuck on a plateau, then you want to have an experience and come on Wednesday night because you need it. We all need it. I need it. And so during worship, I'm crying out for my own freedom in my own life. And that doesn't mean I was drinking it up, smoking it up, lusting it up last night or last week, but it means that God's always got me in a process of greater freedom, greater healing, and greater understanding of who he is. You don't ever come to the place where you arrive. You're always a work in progress until Jesus comes back. The Bible says, until that which is perfect comes, there's imperfect. Okay? And so we need more. And today I'm going to talk about the preparation of the more that's coming and why you need it and what the Holy Spirit really does when he comes inside of your life, why you desperately need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and prepare yourself. We've got to prepare ourselves. So Jesus's ministry asked for something more. He would eventually be crucified, resurrect, and ascend to heaven. And he was preparing us for the life that he wanted us to live after he gave his life. He was preparing us for the more. But there was somebody else in the Bible that was always preparing uh, a way in the wilderness for Jesus and for more, and it was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would be a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Let's look at the scripture. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. The realm of heaven's kingdom is about to appear, so you'd better keep turning away from evil and turn back to God. Step one. This scripture today is as relevant as it's ever been. You know why? Because Jesus is coming back. So God calls us to be modern day John the Baptist that prepare the way of the Lord. God calls us to be voices crying out in the wilderness. Look at this next verse. Verse 3, Isaiah referred to John when he prophesied, a thunderous voice, one will be crying out in the wilderness, prepare yourself for the Lord's coming and level a straight path inside of you. So it starts with me. Everybody say it starts with me. So I'm in worship crying out, God, level a straight path inside of me. What does it mean to level a straight path? It means if there's anything crooked or has a wrong motive or a wrong intention, or it's about me, or there's anything in me that's not of him, level the path. Make it straight. I don't want to be crooked anymore. Do you understand? If there's anything crooked in me, I want it out. And I'll be the forerunner for this church. I don't care. I mean, think about this for a moment. When Jesus showed up to John the Baptist, who was baptizing people for the remission of sins, the tax collectors, a prophet in the wilderness. In my mind, John the Baptist had it pretty together. 
He was wild, but lived sinless. That's how I view him. I mean, he's baptizing people to get rid of their sin. And in a moment, I'm going to show you when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Because we're never worthy. We're never good enough. But Jesus makes us worthy in his eyes because of what he did. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he, Jesus says to John the Baptist, you baptize me. And John the Baptist says, have you lost your mind? I'm paraphrasing it. You are crazy. I need to baptize you, the sinless Messiah. And, John, and Jesus says, yes, you need to baptize me because it's fitting that I fulfill all the law and that I lead the way, even though he was sinless. Isn't that powerful? Because there's this common misconception that it's me and you. I'm the high and mighty man of God that's living perfect, and you're the lowly sinner that's no good and not worthy and barely making it, but that's a lie. The truth is I'm not any different than you. I just paid the price. And I said yes. And I gave myself over, and I never gave up. That's probably the number one thing is like I never gave up. And I had every opportunity to give up. I had every chance, every reason with failures and mistakes and hurts and pains and church hurts and all these kind of things that would keep me back. But instead I said, no, wait a minute. I know I'm an answer. And I know that I can bring solutions. And I know God loves his church and loves his people. And so we are called to be voices crying out in the wilderness. This word crying out, I'm going to show it to you again. This word crying out literally means to, to croak like a raven. Ah! 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 I'm not kidding. I know it's funny. Look it up. But I'm going to give you another term. I know this term really well. It's the term vociferous. How many of you know what vociferous means? The word, well, you know, because you were here last service. You don't count. Vociferous is voice carry. It's aggressive. It's loud. It's thunderous. It's a voice crying out in the wilderness. Is the world in a wilderness right now? Some of you are in a wilderness. And I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming back. A cataclysmic collision from heaven is about to happen. I've dreamt it. I heard it screaming in my ear the second week of January. Something is about to happen. Something's happening. There's a cataclysmic collision coming. Heaven is about to invade earth. The realm of, of heaven's kingdom, the, another word for appear, is approaching. So hear the sound of my voice. Jesus is coming back. There's no time to live in compromise and sin and fear and shame. And if you have any of that, let's deal with it. And today we're going to deal with it. That's why I'm here. If you've shame, there's healing. There's shame breaking. So think about it. The realm of heaven's kingdom is about to appear. Let's get measured with love. 
Because true love always measures with, or true discipline always measures with love. There's no agenda. There's not an agenda. And if there is any agenda, I'm up here crying, saying, flip me upside down, shake me by my ankle, and mess my hair up. No, I'm being serious. Some of you need to be turned upside down, shaken, and messed up. God messed me up because I don't want to look good on the outside and be messed up on the inside. And we're singing, God, be my deliverer, be my deliverer. I'm meaning what I'm singing because I already know if I want more, I have to decrease so that he can increase. There's never a worthy FYI. You're never good enough. So why are you trying? You were never going to be good enough. Meaning in your own strength. God loves you. You're good enough for him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about measuring up and performing and religious duty and he loves me and he loves me not and I'm hot and I'm cold and I'm up and I'm down and I'm in and I'm out. Instead, John the Baptist says, turn away and turn to. Turn away and turn to God. So if there's anything in me to, to really have all that God wants for us, we have to be willing to lay down anything in us that's not of him. We're going to talk about one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit here in a moment and why this is a setup. I'm just going to tell you all right now, there's no trickery happening here. Now, you might have got set up by God to come here, but I don't have any hidden agenda. I want you born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, full of the gifts of the Spirit, flamed on, living holy, because we say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I need you, but we forget it's the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of holiness. Okay. We get so familiar with the term, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, but really what it is is Spirit, make me holy. Okay. The one who's holy, make me holy. Yeah. Ta-da! Holiness is, there's, holiness is mandated, not maybe slightly. Now, we understand process and work, and we don't give up on you a thousand times over. You know why? Because God never gave up on me. So when Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, he's like, I double dog dare you to one-up me because I think I'm the greatest sinner that there ever was. I'm like, well, maybe you're right because I didn't murder somebody, but... So he self-deprecates. One of the best things you can do is self-deprecate. I taught it to you last week, Isaiah 50. God didn't sell you out. You sold yourselves to slavery. If God sold you into slavery, guess what? He broke covenant. But if I sell myself into slavery, guess what he does? And I break covenant. He buys me back. How many times? He never, ever, 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 ever gave up on you. No matter how many times you were Hosea's wife. And you're standing up on the auction block. I've stood on that auction block. How about you? And standing in the crowd is a man. And there's fire in his eyes for you.
and he buys you back when you didn't deserve it and you weren't worthy and you were as far gone as far gone could be. Doesn't that fascinate you with this love? How can you not be moved to emotion by the radiant power of God's love for your life to buy you off that auction block over and over and over again? While you beat yourself up with false humility and religious duty and I'm not good enough and measuring up and I'm not worthy enough, accept the reality that you never were. You broke covenant, he buys you back. Stop breaking covenant so you can enjoy the life God has for you. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make level paths. I was talking with a spiritual daughter that I used to pastor who's here. I said, what's the number one thing you want to have happen next year? She says, I want to get straight. Right answer. Any crooked path in me. Why? Because Jesus is coming. But even more than that, if you want all of what God has for you, you've got to let him purge you out with anything that's inside of you. Let me show it to you. Verse 10. The axe, the, the axe is laid at the root. Matthew 3.10. Let's pull it up. Even now, everybody say even now. There's an axe. There is an axe. The axe is alive and well. And it's laid to the root of the tree. And any tree that does not, any tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's talk about this for a moment. If you have root systems in your life that are producing bad fruit in your life, they need to be cut. It's not that complicated. Let's say this together. Bad root, bad fruit. Alcohol is, and drugs and addiction are only a deeper rooted issue, anger, fear, worry, relationship problems, whatever it is, self-preservation, numbing out to the world, whatever it is that we do, always have a, has a root system. So we need an ax. Everybody say, I need an ax. I, I know one. And it's laid at the root. But this is a bad thing. This is not good. Because this tree is thrown into the fire. This tree doesn't know Jesus. This tree does, really does not want the axe to cut it at the root. This tree's holding on to its issues. This tree's issues is, are its little pet demons. This tree's issues do, doesn't really want to get free. So the Lord says, here's the bad news. Fire. Now and eternity. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody that is always in crisis? Always, always is in crisis. Right? So I ministered to some outlaw bikers. They hate Christians, but they love me. Which means they must really love Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Did you know that? I don't like those Christians, but I like you. You know why? Because they see Jesus actually in you. So what they don't really realize is they love Jesus for who he really is. And I know these people 
always, always in crisis. Their whole life is a sad country song. I'm not kidding. Like, it's tears in your boots and beers. Tears and beers. I mean, that's the name of the song, Tears and Beers. Come on, guys, track with me. I know exactly where I'm going with this message. It's tears and beers, problems, problems, crisis, crisis, crisis. It's hell on earth. Have you ever met somebody say, and they said to you, I used to have people say this all the time. I'm living in hell right now. There is no eternal hell. It's right now here on earth. I've had people tell me that. And there's some truth to that. There's always in crisis. And it's like fire of, tr of problems constantly. But there's also an eternity. Eternity starts now. And there's an eternal fire that I don't want you to go to, neither does the Lord. The Lord doesn't want anybody to burn in hell, FYI. I believe that there is an eternal lake of fire from the scriptures and from the spirit. I don't have to talk about it a lot because I'm going to keep you out. Here's what Jesus said, or I'm sorry, John the Baptist said, I want you to see this contrast today. There's an ax at the root. Any tree not bearing good fruit goes to the fire. Now look at verse 11. They go hand in hand. Verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who's coming after me, who's mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, which blows my mind that he would even say that. That's the real picture of brokenness, humility, and the fear of God. He's so holy and so awesome. In my best day, I don't compare. I can't even, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. That's a good place to be. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here's this word, fire. There's two fires. There's fire on the outside and there's fire on the inside. Why? Look at the next verse, verse 12. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. He will, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. So here's the premise of these three verses. The axe is laid at the root. Any tree that rejects him or doesn't do it his way is thrown into a life of turmoil and fire and everlasting fire. But when the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes you, when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit and his fire, he puts his fire on the inside to deal with the roots on the inside of you. Religious duty on the outside will never deal with your roots. The Holy Spirit on the inside brings a fire to do what? What, what does it do? Notice this. It separates the wheat from the chafe. What's chafe? Chafe is the straw minus the kernel of wheat. It's no grain. It's just the straw. The fruit's what they're after. The shaft represents the flesh or carnality. So if there's anything carnal in your life, 
What is the Holy Spirit? You've got to catch this. I love signs, wonders, miracles, visions, prophecy, dreams, the outpouring. The su- I love all those things. But the greater purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life is to burn out anything in you that he doesn't want inside of you. Namely, carnality, all the hurts, the pains, the lies, the fears, all your issues. If you don't have the Holy Spirit on the inside working on you, then you're constantly living with the fire on the outside that's destroying you. He does not want you thrown into the fire. He wants to put the fire on the inside so he can get you dealt with now. Look, you can get it the easy way or the hard way. Please go the easy way. I'm asking you because I love you. I care about you. I don't need another notch in a belt. I don't need your money. I don't need more rear ends in the seats. This is not a playtime. There is a wilderness. We're all surrounded by it. Make straight the path. Prepare a way for the Lord now. There is a cataclysmic collision that's full scale headed to earth. And I want you ready. And I will be vociferous about it. And everything that I say will be vociferous. Vociferous means to... Raise your voice violently and loudly. I understand this word because Amber, when we get, she's like getting an argument. She's like, stop yelling. I'm like, I'm not yelling. My voice is carrying. It's to get your voice to be carried. Vociferous. Voice, carry. And what you post on Facebook and everything you say and everything you do is either a representation of him or not of him. What matters the most? That you be right or you be righteous? Follow my lead. You can do it. I'm just following his lead. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. It's okay to have people as examples in your life. Just don't put them above Christ and put them on a pedestal. But we all need fathers to follow. Right. What are you saying? What are you speaking? What are you living? So the ax is cut at the root. God says, I'm going to put the fire on the inside and my spirit on the inside of you. So I can deal with those roots this way. If you have carnality in your life, you need the Holy Spirit to convict you and deal with you and bring freedom to your life. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Understand? John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39. 37 and 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Jesus stood and, ah, ah, and it was, everybody was looking and listening. He was vociferous. He cried out. Just a newsflash. This is a cry out church. If you like silent and quiet, this isn't the place. I love you. 
There's lots of churches and lots of expressions. I'm a cry out guy. Now, my wife doesn't cry out the same way I cry out, but she cries out. She's desperate just like I am. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when would the Holy Spirit be given? Next Sunday. In the timeline of history. So Jesus, early in his ministry, talks about the Holy Spirit coming after he's glorified, which would be crucified, buried, resurrected, 40 days later, which was three days ago, ascends to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit pours out. Now let me teach you something about this. The Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, is one of the feasts of Israel. And this feast celebrates Israel walking in the desert for 40 years and being protected by God. It's a feast of basically remembrance. That the Lord watched after his people, even in their rebellion, even in all that they did for 40 years, in the, and they lived in booths, basically. And they had the tabernacle of Moses and the tent of meeting with David. It's the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's celebrated usually in the fall. So Jesus is at this feast, and on the very last day, the Bible says the great day of the feast. You know why it's called the great day of the feast on the last day? Because there's a ceremony that takes, takes place on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's called the water drawing ceremony. And what happens is the priests go to a pool in Jerusalem called the Pool of Siloam. And they would draw water pitchers from the Pool of Siloam, and they, they would march in a pr procession back to the temple where they would dump the water from the pool of Siloam onto the altar. You know why? Because the poor, it's the Feast of Tabernacles of wandering through the desert. The water being poured out on the altar is a representation and a remembrance of the water that came from the split rock. When God gave them water to drink from a rock, which was Jesus in the wilderness. Follow me. So the, the feast would celebrate what the Lord did in the wilderness by drawing water from the pool of Siloam and pouring it on the altar to remember the water from the rock. But guess where the real rock is? Standing right there. Guess where the real living water comes from? See, in Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14, it talks about the patterns of the temple and out from the temple comes rivers of living water. So they're remembering the water from the rock and they're also declaring that one day Jerusalem will be restored. They're standing on the promise of Zechariah 14 that living water will come out from the temple and guess who's standing right there? 
So as the march is happening, I can see it now. As the march is happening with the water pitchers, there's Jesus. Considered a rabbi who always teaches sitting down. But this time, he stands up and he says, If anybody's thirsty, come to me. They're marching to the temple with their water ceremony of remembering something from their past or doing their religious duty. And Jesus is saying, the living water and the rock is right here, right in front of you. Stop going through your religious duty and look at me. Come to me. He screams out in a vociferous way. If anybody wants living water, the word living is zao. It's, it's related to Zoe. Zoe is everlasting life. Zao is life animated, vigorous, strong, and efficacious now. You know what efficacious means? To efficacy. I used to sell prescription medications. I worked for a pharmacy, pharmaceutical insurance company. And one word we talk about is a drug that has a strong efficacy rate. It means that it has an effect of what it was intended to do when taken. Hence, living water. So what Jesus is saying, you can go through all your emotions and remember the water from the rock and something that happened in the past, but that was a type and shadow of what's standing right in front of you. If you're thirsty, Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm telling you, I've got the next narrative for the chosen series. I, can, I'm, I need to direct that one scene right there. Stands up. If anybody's thirsty, come to me. Can you imagine how offensive that was? While they're, they're going through their... The, the great day of their sacrifice and their feast, and they're going to the temple with their water jugs of something from the past, and he says, I'm the guy. And then here's what he says. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And what happens when you drink from Jesus? Well, he said that to the woman at the well, but here he said, you'll get living waters that'll come up out of your belly or your heart. It's living water. You know what that means? It's not stagnant, dirty water. It means that the what I speak and what I say when you're in crisis or addicted or hurting or broken or weary, I'm not now speaking out of my rear end or the side of my mouth. I'm speaking what Jesus would speak. Wouldn't that be nice if we all said what Jesus had to say? Which is why I say, God, if there's any money changing tables in me, turn it upside down. That needs to be your prayer. Self-preservation, personal gain. It's all about me, my name, my notoriety, my fame, my ministry. It's not about all of that. Is your house a house of prayer for all nations? That's what he really wants. So when he comes to visit you, what is the first thing he does? Flips you upside down, grabs you by the ankle, shakes you, messes up your hair real good, rocks you, wrecks you, you weep, you snot, you cry, which that happened to me at the first service. I'm a lot more got it together this service, but first service, I was extremely emotional. Because I can't stay the same. I can preach the best message to you today fire you up, inspire you, convict you, and then what? Everybody say, and then what? 
If there's not an end, then what? Tonight and tomorrow and straight paths and preparing away from the Lord, then we've wasted our time. We had a nice kumbaya, feel good, goosebump service. You did your church duty. And I love you, and I'm glad you're here, and I hope you keep coming back. But there's, this is way bigger than this. Way bigger than this. Children and generations and legacy, and the Lord's coming back. If you don't have eternity in your heart now, how you raise your kids, how you live your life, how you preach the gospel, how you witness, you won't be aggressive. You won't be passionate. There'll be no supernatural. Dreams will be insignificant. The voice of God, who cares? I went to church. I read, I listened to my 10 minutes of worship this morning. It was awesome. Really? I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I'm just speaking to my own self. So Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me, not the bar. Because there's a lot of people drinking. They're just drinking the wrong thing. That's why Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So he compares alcohol and the Spirit together. One doesn't give me a hangover and doesn't make me be uninhibited to say stupid things. Or numb out my issues that never get dealt with, so I have to keep going back. Instead, one satisfies me so I'm never thirsty again, meaning I have everything that I need, and I'm actually more in my right mind the crazier you think I am, because I'm more aggressive, I'm more passionate, I'm more spirit-led, because now I'm intoxicated by his love. You need to be intoxicated. See, Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles them, it's what comes out. So look at it from a positive side. When I drink from Jesus, what's coming out? I'm just a spiritual drunkard. I know that sounds, may be offensive to you, but I'll take the title. He wants to intoxicate you. And he wants living water to come out of you, strong, vibrant, so that when you give counsel, when you advise, when you sit in the most difficult situation, the Lord gives you the words to say. But you're never going to get them until you drink from Jesus and make a way, straight paths for the Lord. John 16, 7 through 15. And I'm going to close with these verses. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, this is Jesus talking. Nevertheless, I tell you that it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. So Jesus is saying, I have to leave. Because if I don't, number one, you won't really walk by faith because he's standing right there. But number two, the comforter, the helper. See, this word for helper means a lot of things. It means divine encourager. It means comforter. It means best friend, your friend. So if Jesus doesn't go, the Holy Spirit can't come to comfort you, to encourage you, 
to direct you, to help you, and to be the friend that you really need the most. Because some of you feel like you're so alone, but you're actually never alone when you have Jesus because he gives you the Holy Spirit. The word says that very clear. Let's keep reading. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he'll do three things. Three things. He will convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then Jesus explains it to you. He says he'll convict you of sin. You're going to love this. He convicts you of sin. Why? Because you didn't believe in Jesus. But shouldn't it say he'll convict you of sin because you're so jacked up and you have so many issues and you've done everything wrong? That's what I would think it would say. I'm going to convict you of, every, of sin because of all these things that you're doing wrong. That's what we expect from Jesus. That's what we expect from the pastor. That's what we expect from our Christian friends. As soon as I have a meeting, they're just going to tell me everything I'm doing wrong. But notice this. To believe in Jesus is not just a verbal assent that I believe in him and that he exists. To believe in Jesus means I submit all and follow and adhere to what he asked me to do. It's real discipleship. So whenever I sin, am I really believing in him in that moment? I'm not talking about that I became an unbeliever. What I'm talking about is in that moment, I took my eyes off of him. So what he's saying is I'm going to convict you by my spirit. To convict means to reprove or expose. And some of you are like, oh, I don't want to be exposed. Yes, you do. You want to get in the light. When measured by love, it always brings healing. There's no shame. No matter what you did, no matter what you're doing, I could probably guess easily, and it wouldn't even be a guess, what is happening in this room. But there's love, and love covers a multitude of sins, and it's love and compassion and grace that draws you back to him. Yes, we should have the fear of God inside of our heart, but being sold into slavery usually is enough. Usually. Some of us had to be sold over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until we finally got it. But at some point, I believe that you'll get it. And at some point, I believe you're going to say, God, I don't want those roots in me anymore. Bring your fire and cut it out of my life. So he says, I'm going to convict the world of sin because they didn't believe in me. Meaning, they don't know who I really am. They're not keeping their eyes on me. They've got a facade of who I really am. And then of what? And by the way, convict the world of sin, where did that come from? Adam. So he's going to deal with what came from Adam by reversing the curse, the cross. Number two, he's going to deal with righteousness. And then he says, of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you don't see me anymore. And I thought, what in the world does that even mean? So you're going to convict the world of righteousness because you're going to the Father and we don't see you anymore. And I thought, I don't understand. So it took me a minute, and then I got it. Here's what it means. Jesus is now going to go to the source, the Father of righteousness, and by the Spirit is going to show what real righteousness looks like, first from the cross, and then by being Spirit-led and having conviction in your heart. 
Real righteousness comes from him, not your behavior modification. Real righteousness comes from being spirit-led. We would all love to see Jesus personally and face-to-face. But being spirit-led and laying your life down and trusting in the righteousness that he provided by the cross brings real, genuine conviction that changes you. You can't change yourself. The world is constantly trying to change itself. Behavior modification books, behavior modification lifestyles, the five points, the five steps, the 10 things you have to do. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to go to the Father, and we are going to be the ultimate source of righteousness, and we're going to send our spirit, and he's going to convict you to be like we are. And then the third thing is judgment. And then he says judgment because the God of this world has already been judged. What does that mean? It means that Satan is already defeated, and it means that he's, it's going to get even worse for him. It's going to get real bad for the devil, guys, real bad. He's already defeated. It was bad with what happened on the cross. And it's bad for him by how we live, but he's already defeated. But he's actually going to be tormented for eternity. So in, Re- in Revelations 12, it says that the devil knows his time is short. So he works on overtime to destroy and devour you. And so notice one of the works of the Holy Spirit. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to bring a finality to what the devil does in your life and in this world system, but also to bring judgment to you. Now, some of you won't like that, but I'm going to help it to be palatable for you. Judgment starts with the house of God. What does that mean? If there's something in me, I don't want it anymore. Start with me. Everybody say that. Ta-da! This is a great revelation on a Sunday morning. Woo! Yeah, I know I'm getting you so fired up with this message. Seriously, start with me. Break me open. If Judge me now. Because see, if you see God as a mean, mad, spiteful, bad guy, then you would be afraid of his judgment. But if you see him as a loving, caring, merciful, kind dad, then you can say, self, I self-deprecated. This is 1 Corinthians 11 in the context of real communion. If we would judge ourselves, or let me paraphrase it for you. If you check yourself before you wreck yourself, what happens? You don't fall under the judgment that the tree with the ax gets thrown into the fire. You won't go under that judgment. Holy Spirit, come inside of me with your fire, burn out the chafe, cut the roots. Lord, convict me of sin, cause me to be righteous in the right way, and have my eyes on you. And if there's anything in me, the devil's already defeated, he's already been dealt with, now deal with me. You get it? So I summed it all up with this. We all need the ax to cut the roots, but not be destroyed. That's why we have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, cut the roots out. Bring your ax, but Lord, please. You know how many times I've said, God, I really blew it. Bring your ax, but please have mercy. Please, God, have mercy. There's a cataclysmic collision coming, and we need voices crying in the wilderness. 
Will you be a voice crying in the wilderness or will you cry for yourself and your right ways and your, your movements and your positions and your divisions and all the dumb stuff that separates God's people or are you going to be different? Are you going to live different or live like the world? Are you going to change the world or is the world going to be in you and change you? And even if you bombed it and blew it last night, whatever you've done, you run to the altar, you run to the, the arms of Jesus, and you come to him when you're thirsty, and he always gives you a drink. And that drink changes you. And the more I get changed and the more I fall in love, the more that I want to be like him. See, back in the day when I was younger, I was taught this, by the way, in my early days of Christianity. Every day you need to ask God to forgive you. Hang on a second. You're going to get free of something right now. Every day I was told I most likely screwed up. And I need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. I almost never prayed a prayer without saying, God, forgive me, because I wasn't sure if I messed up or not. But as I matured and became to know the Lord more and became a father and knew who he was, and have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me, I don't even need to guess when I need to say sorry. <laughs> I don't need to go, well, maybe I did. No, I know when I did because I have conviction by the Holy Spirit. And if I didn't, there are many days that I go and I'm not like, okay, well, Lord, I'm just going to take a shot at it. <laughs> no, because I'm being spirit-led. And now I have conviction and I hear it and I obey it. And I'm quick to repent. But I'm not guessing and living in the fear of God that I might have screwed it up. Can you imagine? I have a son and a daughter. It, I would be angry if every day they came to me and said, Daddy, I know I didn't do the right thing today, or I'm so sorry that I screwed up today somewhere. And every day they had this thing where they're always telling me sorry. I'd be like, what? Baby, I love you. Now, when they screw up or they do things they shouldn't do, I want to teach them the importance of repentance and forgiveness. And I show them through saying sorry what forgiveness looks like. Okay? Like my son yesterday. I don't know what he did to Cadence. And she instigates it too, by the way. But she's a girl. To, she's a girl. And I'm still teaching him you don't pull hair and bite and hit. I don't, and he, because he always says, but she did this to me. I said, I don't care. You never hit a girl, ever. Instead, so something happened and she screams her head off and we've been through this a thousand times. I'm like, what? What did you do? And man, he runs for his life, which he doesn't need to run. He doesn't need to run, but he knows he did something wrong, okay? And I'm teaching him don't run. And here's how I do that. So he goes and he hides in his room and he starts crying because he knows he did something wrong. So I go and I get him. I said, come here and sit down. And he's bawling crocodile tears, like crocodile tears. I'm like, now look at me in the eyes. And I have him look at me in the eyes. I said, do you know why I'm frustrated with you? He goes, yes. I said, why? Because I hit Cadence. I said, that's right. And haven't I taught you, you never hit a girl. But she did this. I said, I don't care. That's not right what she did. But you have to come talk to me. 
but I want you to know that I love you. Talk to me. Don't run away. I care about you. I love you. And I'm looking him in the eyes with crocodile tears. But he's seeing the father's love even with the discipline. And he's, I said, now, I already know he feels terrible about it. So now no, go say sorry to your sister. Come on, pick yourself up. You're not in trouble anymore. And he still cries all the way to his mom because he's a mama's boy. And then we watch TV and he gets over it. But the point is, is that we learn to run to God, not from him. And we learn to say, God, if there's anything in me, deal with it. And we know that he's a loving father that cares about us. And I learned that I don't have to live in this constant fear that's not a healthy fear of him. There is a healthy fear of God. But constantly having to tell him sorry over and over and over and over and over again is a warped view of the Father's love. And you know why it's warped? Because many of us never had a real dad that loved us that way. But he is the dad you never had. Do you understand? Which means you don't have to stay the way that you are. Which means if your dad left you and abandoned you and rejected you and you have a father wound, which many of us do, guess what? You have a dad that you never had. And I'll do my best to love you that way and create a culture that loves with the father's love. But I'm telling you all of those things to say this to you. Lord, if there's anything in me, deal with it because I trust your judgments. And your judgments bring justice and I've lived injustice in an injustice. See it that way. We need flamed on believers full of holiness. If we're going to cry out for the Holy Spirit, then we, sh we need to be willing to say, Lord, make me holy. Yeah. Even when you vomit and blow it a thousand times, don't walk out of here with shame. This isn't a shame message. This is a message designed to bring you into who you were always called to be. So keep calling out for the Holy Spirit. No matter what you did last night or this morning, it, no matter what you did, do not let shame wreak havoc in your life. Pick yourself up. Get back at it. Fall more in love with Jesus because it's the pleasure and delight of God that changes you, not the hammering. I mean, it can change you, but you don't want to get changed like that. Fall more in love with him and say yes to what he has for you. We need to come to Jesus and drink so that what comes out of us is, is life-giving and life-transforming, and we desperately need the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's all stand. I'd like to pray for you. If you need to level the path in your heart and get straight, come up. I want to pray for you. If you are angry, bitter, far from God, come up. I want to pray for you. This message, come up. I want to pray for you. If you have found yourself uh, dealing with in the wrong way, I'm going to pray for you. just want to invite all of you to come up. I'm proud of all of you. Come on, we're going to do this. We're not going to back down. We're going to be vociferous. We're going to be voices crying out in the wilderness. And that's going to be your prayer. I'm proud of all of you so much. Keep on coming up. Come on, line up here in the front. I'm proud of you guys. Yeah. Mm. Proud of you, man.
I don't care how long it's been. We're dealing with it today. Okay? We're going to deal with it today. Dealing with it today. Proud of you. Hey, proud of you. Close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you. Please. Have mercy, Lord. You're so good, God. You never give up. You never leave us or forsake us. Have mercy, Lord. God, I pray for everyone that's come up today. I present them to you, Lord, as sacrifices. Take their life. Do what you do best, Lord. Put your spirit on the inside. Spirit on the inside. Let your axe cut the root of the shame and the pain, the failures and the mistakes, the lies and the deception. Anything that's kept them back from the more that you have in store, God. Cause them to be the sons and the daughters that you've always longed for them to be. And don't let anything keep them back from what you have for them. Thank you, Lord God, for your spirit that brings conviction. And today we say yes. We don't run. We don't hide. Lord, shine the light and expose anything in us that's not right. And we give it to you right here at this altar. We give it to you. Just say it with me. Say, I'm giving it to you, Jesus. Blow your wind, God. Blow the wind, Lord, and separate from me the carnality, the chafe, the fears, the lies, the anger.